think it's important to remind people the whole, you know, spiel of, well, you've only got one mother. You've, oh, well, you have to forgive her because that's your family. Don't ever let that be the dictation of, of what you should do because quite honestly, I can say I don't want people that make my life worse close to me. And you, you try to set boundaries with them and you try to be yourself and they don't respect that and they don't respect you. Sometimes it's best to just go your own way. Welcome to Neurons to Nirvana, a platform for creative forces that embrace the unconventional and the quest for artistry, humanity, innovation, health, and healing of the mind and soul. Join me, Tom Hartridge, on a journey celebrating experiences unbound by physical borders or traditional norms. From inside the mind, to the far reaches of the universe. This is Neurons to Nirvana. Hey ladies and gents, we're going to jump right into my interview with Maven Avila, the frontman for Dead Letterman. This episode is a continuation of our exploration of the power of music to heal, inspire, and inform. Maven is a budding artist from Kentucky, and he brings a strong viewpoint to his music and his political advocacy. Maven, how are you doing, man? I'm doing well. How are you, Tom? I'm great. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and uh, speak with me. As I told you, I came across you, Eric Alper, who I've uh, got a great SiriusXM channel, and he's a he's a music publicist, and I my prior episode i really enjoyed like riffing with him about music history and and trying to stifle him with uh, all the trivia that i know and vice versa yeah he's a jack of all trades and just a, you know a human encyclopedia <laughs> yeah, it's it's great and he's putting out really good vibes you know yeah in, in a in a world that we live in and then I came across, you know, some your music, but your music taste. And also, you know, I, I want to talk about uh, during this episode, your your things concerning social justice and so forth. Let's get to know you. So you are from and live where? I'm originally from Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, in 2020, I moved to Lexington. It's about an hour and a half down the road. While I'm from Lexington, the, my other half lives in Louisville, so we're kind of the pan-Kentuckian punk duo, uh, as we like to call ourselves, and yeah. Who is your better half? That was one of the questions I wanted yeah, to ask. Their you. name is Johnny Friend. Uh, they're in about six other bands, and in my band specifically, they just play the drums. Okay. And you're you're the vocals. I'm the vocals. I'm the guitar. I'm everything but the drums that you hear in studio. And on a podcast that I heard you featured on before, tell me about all the genres of music that you've been, not just currently, but prior playing and so forth. Yeah. So the first thing I ever did was like EDM. I did that for about six months. Nothing to write home about. After that, I transitioned into rapping. I rapped under the name of Burnwick from about 2016 to 2018. 
Um, that was my first real like cutting of the teeth, if you will. Um, but while it was the first thing I did, it wasn't something I was very passionate about. I've always been more of a like rock oriented rock blues jazz you know that sort of thing and while i love and respect hip-hop it was not my calling it was just one of those things that felt like it was the most accessible way to just create at the time in 2019 i just said screw it at the time i didn't know how to play an instrument but i i had an iphone and they all come preloaded with the with the garage band. So I just oh, right in using like the, the MIDI instruments in the garage band, I just started like making these rock sounding instrumentals and singing over them. And that effectively was the uh was the genesis of what became Dead Letterman. Okay. And that was two years or three years ago? That would have been late twenty nineteen to early twenty twenty, about two years ago, yeah. Was that right before COVID hit when you were starting to sell? Yeah. Teachers? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Our first EP came out, I want to say it was April of 2020. So we're talking right after COVID. And how did you and your better half, uh, your partner, how did you all find each other? Uh, I just happened to know them. They were in a band called The Happy You, which locally has like, pretty at the time they had a pretty significant following they were the drummer for years in that band so i just knew them from going to shows and being kind of involved in that like diy community okay and so now since you've started to self-teach yourself like how do you feel about your guitar playing and so forth my i I would say guitar is probably my like dominant instrument when you're good at guitar things like bass or mandolin any of your traditional handheld string instruments it really lessens the learning curve as far as other things like anything involving keys or percussion few steps behind but a little studio magic you wouldn't know right right so i came across a song you gotta humor me if you don't mind the Kentucky Punk on Spotify, Mother's Day. <laughs> 21 years ago, I made my great descent from grace From the womb of a devil with a pretty woman's face Who'd always second-guess me, she'd neglect me and smack me on my face told me it was discipline and she was putting me in my place now all i have is trauma riding on the brain and i drink myself to sleep each night to hide from all the pain and it weighs on me so heavy on this fateful mother's day all the memories of the torture how i always used to say don't hurt me no more 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 but she did not listen no she 
what's the what's the story behind that yeah uh we're asking the hard questions already so you know i i would say i come from a rather unpleasant background uh with my parents uh namely my mother and uh she was you know i mean let's let I, I won't i won't sugarcoat it i had an abusive mother and we have not had a very healthy relationship. Uh, you know, I haven't been close to her since my teens. When I started writing for this project, um, she had come back into contact with me. And we had a very just not pretty conversation. And, you know, uh, I had just started, like I said, working on this project. I had been writing stuff. And I just said, I just need to tell the story. Like, a lot of times when you're writing a song, you're worrying about how accessible is this or how did this listener relate to it? How singable is this? And with this one, I just kind of said, you know, to hell with all of that. I'm just going to tell the story for me and for only me. So that's kind of what Mother's Day is. It's a declaration. The reason why I brought that up is so this ought to make you feel a little bit better. I uh, can relate to that song my mom and i we we were so similar and our personality traits and she had a great sense of humor and she had a creative mind but when i moved to austin after my dad passed away of cancer she thought i was a like this complete lunacy for me to get up on stage and start doing uh comedy <laughs> open mics at cap city comedy club podcasting that platform was calling me so up until around the same time you were teaching yourself how to play guitar, I was already starting my catalog with like the first three or four episodes. She listened to an episode that I had with a great uh, musician who's, and who ultimately became a friend and mentor of mine, Ike Stubblefield. Um, she listened to that and I could see that she got enjoyment out of it. But she was just like, what are you doing? You know, and uh, it put a strain on us. But then when I found out that she was not doing well, um, I packed up my car uh, and loaded it up with my dog and drove it back to Savannah, Georgia, just saying I'm going to be there for her so that I could uh just make peace and bring it full circle because ultimately she's the reason why I'm even talking to you. Right. And, and I, I did love her and we, we did not have the best moments, yeah. but my, my point is, is I hope that uh, you all can do a full reconciliation once you continue to grow your craft and exposure and so forth. Right. Uh, well, you know, it, it that's, the most ideal thing, but I, I think with respect to everything you say, cause I, I agree. And I, I empathize with your situation, of course, coming from my background, but I think it's important to remind people that one common thing, and I'm sure you've heard it too, is the whole, you know, spiel of, well, you've only got one mother. You've, oh, well, you have to forgive her because that's your family. Don't, you don't have to. yeah don't don't ever let that be the dictation <laughs> of of what you should do because quite honestly just beyond my mother i have a lot of uh, unsavory characters in my family 
my life is not better with them close to me. My life is worse with them close to me. And I can say, I don't want people that make my life worse close to me. And you, you try to set boundaries with them and you try to be yourself and they don't respect that and they don't respect you. Sometimes it's best to just go your own way. Absolutely. And I'm sure it's blocked your channels of creativity in a way because it gets in your head, right? Sure. And now it starts to affect you. And then you, for me personally, like I, I would shut down when I would hear any yeah. type of criticism from not just my mother, but friends and family. Yeah. Like, you're going to do what? That's crazy. That yeah. sounds like, like well, you, you know, even with this this dead Letterman thing, it's kind of absurd that I'm sitting here talking to you and and talking about performing and because for a long time I was so self conscious and insecure and you know you you have that feeling of I'm not good enough or they're gonna laugh at me they're gonna they're gonna say mean things to me you know it, it's and it's all a byproduct of that. If that's what you expect at home, then that becomes part of your nature. And you just, you expect to slip and fall flat on your face. So for a long time, I was so buried underneath that, that it wasn't until this project really flourished during COVID that I was able to just get over myself and do it the way I wanted to do it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, for me and my personal life, it took my mom passing away for me to finally have that catalyst to be like, all right, I've got three episodes and this is what I want to do. Yeah. And now it's time to block out all the noise and just go for it. Yeah. So I, you know, thank you for sharing that. But I wanted to tell you that that song kind of resonated with me. Well, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. It's one of the coolest things when someone comes to me unprovoked to, to give any kind of praise because we we don't promote ourselves too hard you know we do but we're not you know operating on the same level of budget the same production quality we don't have the marketing process it's a lot of energy to manage those kinds of things so we just more or less put it out there and if you find it you find it and so it's really cool because it feels about as organic as it possibly gets when somebody comes to you and they tell you that something you wrote sometimes, like in this case about something that's very, very visceral emotions and experiences and that it taps yeah. into something for them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the great thing about music. I've mentioned this all the time in the earlier episodes, but I got my drum kit taken away when I was 15. It was one of the worst things my dad ever did to me. <laughs> Music has been my savior uh, in a lot of ways. It just resonates, and I have such passion for it. All forms of artistry, quite frankly, film, artwork, doesn't matter, any form of expression, comedy. Yeah. Particularly, as you well know, this day and age, with COVID going on, it's hard, man. Like It's hard because yeah. we're isolated in a lot of ways. Well, yeah, I mean, I, but I think there's a double-edged sword to that because while everybody's so isolated and it's hard to keep the engine running, it's hard to get the social stimuli and all of that, I've seen, and I don't just speak for myself, I can speak for a lot of people that people started picking up their hobbies again. People started baking yeah, yeah. and crocheting and, you know, 
all kinds of cool stuff. And for me, that just happened to be, okay, well, I've wanted to learn guitar my entire life. And I got, we got the stimulus package and I was like, okay, I've got all this money I didn't have before. Okay. Time to buy a guitar and just bang it out. And that's, that's what I did. Awesome. So tell me about Dead Letterman. You guys, when is your EP coming out? April? Is that right? Yeah. So we're, we're shooting for an April release right now for the album. I mean, it's one of those, I think a lot of bands have like a fixed date for us. We really tend to call things by year. And so we're looking at April right now. Um, at this point, right. we've written everything. It's a matter of getting in their studio, you know, getting the sessions done, getting it all mixed, mastered, put together, and yeah, put out there. What would you say is the main genre of this um, type of music? So really, as, as far as that goes, I mean, it's been a smorgasbord of, of different styles as far as when we were in the writing process of this, I was listening to a lot of different stuff that it kind of expanded my boundaries in terms of like usual taste. Uh, earlier stuff was a lot more rooted in that you know, influences of stuff like, you know, your Springsteen or your, you know, Jimmy yeah. World, your, your alternative and that sort of thing. But with this one, I was listening to hip hop. I was listening to the blues. I was listening to soul. I was listening to a little bit of everything. So it's still the same sort of Dead Letterman package, but yep. there's going to be like little nuggets of different genre influences you know we we have some tunes on there that are a little bit more folk a little bit more country there's tunes on there that get into symphonic almost metal kind of sounds it's it, it it's pretty pretty anomalous in terms of genre which that's by design no i know so i came across your influences on uh of dave letterman yeah. on spotify yeah did you this together or yeah that's uh that's that's my uh that's my like pet playlist i listen to that playlist so so the gimmick with that playlist is i listen to it to get into the songwriting mood the only rule i have is that there has to there can only be one song per artist right. um because just because i can get a little bit obsessive when i really get into an artist and i don't want to have like six albums of one band and only one song of another. So I felt like it's a, it's a way like you, I have to force myself to have some variety here. If it's only one song per artist. I mean, I've seen so many of these bands you have on this list. Uh, Dawes. Yeah. I've seen them live. Lucero, yeah. Modest Mouse, Tyler Childers. You're, you're like me. You have such a vast variety and taste and different genres. Arcade Fire, Weezer. Who else do we have that I've seen personally? Neil Young, The Rapture. I haven't seen them. Gin Blossoms, Foster the People. You have Tracy Chapman on here, which was well beyond before your time. Uh, of course, so was Neil Young. But uh, Florence and the Machine, Pearl Jam. You got Nirvana on here, uh, which is one of that's kind of how I came up with uh, partially yeah. how I came up with the title of my podcast because yeah. that. That was the first CD I ever bought as a kid. The 20 bucks that my dad gave me for my birthday. <laughs> uh, Audio Slave, badass. The great thing is that that's why I wanted to sort of just explore how these things influenced you and, and the music. 
what about being from Kentucky? Do you think that that's influenced you at, at all? I would say so because, you know, when I, when I was growing up, uh, my music taste was really split in like three different directions. Like my mom, she was really into country. She was into stuff like the, the Eagles and Springsteen and, you know, Boston and your, your kind of classic rock and country. My dad, he was into punk and he was into metal. So he was into, you know, your Anthrax, Metallica, Slayer, you know. And then there's like my grandparents and my aunt and uncles that they're from, you know, Eastern Kentucky and up in the hills and stuff. So there's a lot of bluegrass and a lot of old, you know, folk and all of that kind of meshed together as I got older and you, I started finding bands that crossed this over in a way, like you talked about your Dawes and, you know, bands like that, where it's, it's a little country, it's a little rock. Sometimes it's got a little bit of an edge to it. Sometimes it's poppy, you know, it's, but it's got that, that, that Americana kind of root to it. So I have to bring, speaking of, because what you're saying, uh, Sturgill, man. He's from your home state. Yes. Sturgill Simpson. Yes. Uh, have you ever caught him live? I never have. He's one of those that I, yeah, he's kind of, I know people who know him. I've only ever heard yeah, great yeah. things about him. I've heard his music. He's, as far as this, like, kind of alt country revival that's been happening, I would say he's one of the best in that movement. Yeah. He is the man. I, I like Tyler Children, yeah. of course. Uh, but Sturgill is from your home state, so I had to bring him up. Yeah, he's kick ass. And um, you brought up your mom. Was she listening to who's she listening to? Was she listening to Johnny Cash? Oh, like, yeah, we're, she- we're talking more like you know, your like Garth Brooks and your uh, Tim McGraw, your Toby Keith, like that era of country. Okay, right on because that's uh, Johnny Cash, that's the kind of country, and so Sturgill is sort of a bridge, yeah for me into the next generation of that. Yeah. It, it's, it, I, that's, that's kind of what I respect about it is it's, it's very modern. It's taking that old sentimental type of country. You like your Johnny Cash and Waylon Jennings, Willie Nelson, but it's putting a modern shine on that. And, you know, lyrically it's so cool to hear something that's from such a, you know, you associate immediately with a bygone era but they're talking about stuff that for me, I'm part of Gen Z that I can relate to as much as I love Johnny cash. I can't often relate to Johnny cash. Well, Johnny cash. So I've done episodes on plant medicine Mm -hmm. and Johnny cash is not talking about psychedelics. (laughs) Right. right. (laughs) And that's what's so kick ass is. uh, And then he's covering like Nirvana. You know what I mean? It's uh, it's just really cool. I think he's a badass. Tell me, I've, I've seen some of your tweets. Like, tell me what what's going on with you and uh, your social justice. I, I like what you're talking about. Uh, you mentioned something about social, like the Kentucky representatives not being actually from Kentucky. Do you mind elaborating on that? Yeah, you know, it, it's it's one of those things of just like. Is this, a, is this a tweet I made, actually? I'm curious as to what you're referring to. I, I, 
I'm sorry. I think you retweeted it. My bad. You retweeted it. I don't recall that specific retweet, but what I can say is that there is a sentiment among a lot of us in Kentucky that certain, again, representatives, especially those political, they're in Washington, D.C., and they're not they're not thinking about us. They're just not. If there's one figure that, unfortunately, most people associate with Kentucky, it's Mitch McConnell. And I'll tell you, you know, in, in as simple as words as possible, Mitch McConnell does not represent Kentucky. I would hope not, because he would be the worst representation. I yeah. am not a fan of Mitch McConnell whatsoever. And uh, he is part of the old guard that's got to go, man. But he just won't. Is- a lot of us that are in different movements here in Louisville and Lexington, you hear them, they go, how on earth does he keep getting reelected? Who, you know, who votes for him? And I always tell them, go 15 minutes outside of any major city in Kentucky and you'll learn very quickly who is voting for Mitch McConnell. And it's depressing. Are, so you, are you involved in uh, like, in your community, organic, like grassroots and political stuff? I, I, I have at some points. Um, you know, I've been involved in a, a organization called Surge. Stand Up for Racial Justice is that the acronym. Um, I've done, like, different outreach for them. Uh, I've done volunteer work for um, an individual named Char- uh, Charles Booker who he is okay. running against Rand Paul for his seat this year, actually. Does he have a shot? We think so, and he would be the first person of color to hold that, that seat in for Kentucky. So I've, I've been doing volunteer work for Charles Booker, phone banking for him, mainly with a focus on voter outreach. Just, you know, you, you may not vote for him, but just get to the polls because – our voter outreach in Kentucky is not satisfactory. So we, we're trying our best to get people to the polls. What about, And how bad, I, I know Mitch and uh, at the state level constituents, I mean, state reps, how bad is the gerrymandering going on and the, the issue of voting rights? So I'm originally from Georgia. That's become a serious problem in my old home state. A big thing that's been happening in Kentucky is the strive to restore voting rights to felons. Our previous governor, uh, Matt Bevan, he had been working to pardon some selective individuals that had committed heinous crimes. Fortunately, our our current governor, uh, Andy Bashir, who I'll come back around, he plays a big part in the lore of Dead Letterman. But he's done a great job in terms of restoring voting rights to convicted felons. So voting rights, thankfully, are going in a majorly positive direction in Kentucky. Uh, Who's going to who's going to run against Mitch McConnell? Anybody? So that's going to be in 2024. So we don't know that. Okay, I didn't realize. So he's the right on. He's the next cycle. Uh. Well, just keep doing that because that's that's what matters. People don't understand that uh, how important their vote actually re- means and represents. And yeah, if you start start at a local level, you can make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, I think there's there's other nations out there like Brazil, for example, that they they mandate voting. 
I don't know if I'd go as far as to say we should mandate voting, but I wish somehow, some way we were getting people to use their voices because so many people, even people I know who do vote, just have that thing of, ah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I know, I know. But one thing that I wish we would do, like uh, a lot of countries throughout the world, is do it on, make it either, some countries make it a holiday yeah. where you just, everybody goes to work and you just go to the poll or do it on the weekend mm-hmm. so that there's no excuse for uh, not being able to peel away from your, your work yeah. and all that. And cause that was what the mail-in balloting, that's really how Biden beat Trump yeah. <laughs> in, my, in my opinion. Yeah. And now they're trying to take that away. It's absurd. And if you didn't get a mail-in ballot and you had to go stand in line and so many people stand in there without water for hours because it's illegal to be a vendor, you know, it's, it's so restrictive to vote. And these are people that they can't miss work because we're still, we were still coming out of the pandemic. You know, it's the fact that Joe Biden beat Donald Trump in that election is still one of those, like, I wake up and I go, oh, Joe Biden's our president. How did that happen? Who cares? Yeah. It's like, it's just, I'm so glad I don't have to deal with it. At least for now, I'm sure that pompous ass will come back uh, in four years and try to run again. Or his son, Don yeah. Jr. Really anything with his life other than ride his father's, father's coattails. And anybody out there that's listening that wants to attack me about that, so be it. <laughs> like, I do not, I, I just, Joe Biden, it's, it's, what's so scary to me is the fact that we got to a position where we have two men in their 70s. Those were our two options. Fortunately, the black community throughout got behind Biden. And uh, a large portion of that had to do with the fact that he was, VP for Obama, you know, and but they're a huge constituency, particularly in the Democratic Party. So once once they got behind Biden and then the timing of COVID, it was just this perfect wave that where Biden could, quote unquote, hide in the base, you know, it's that, and I mean the the all of the the movements for racial justice that happened in 2020 with the, you know, you had the killings of Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd, and in my city, uh, my hometown, Breonna Taylor. Um, oh God! It was, yes. you know, I was in Louisville at the time of the Breonna Taylor killing and the protests, and it was like something out of a movie to see all of that unfold as far as the, the protests and the unfortunate, you know, uh, law enforcement action against said protests, the, the legal, just the bureaucracy of it all. It was, it was an absurd time to be there. And, you know, unfortunately I would say it is rather serendipitous that out of, all of that, um, which is tragic and, and awful and yeah. many other negative adjectives, um, that yeah. it, it created enough of a pool that we're not sitting here right now suffering through four more years of Trump. Have, yeah, having to read the shittiest tweets, like 15, subjected every day 
people love to say, and I've heard people who are more partial um, to the Republican Party say, well, they're just tweets. They're not hurting anybody. What about his actual policy? And I was like, it doesn't matter what his policy is, because as long as he was tweeting that shit, he's appropriating <laughs> like this kind of behavior. Yes, you know, absolutely. Um, it It's. It's evident by the fact, like, look at look at Trump supporters now. They're delusional. They're insane. They're hateful. Like QAnon. Yeah, Q. <laughs> like, are you serious? Unreal, man. I read something like thirty-five percent of the Republican Party has now become QAnon believers. Like over over a third, and so it's going to be buckle up. Or this this uh, midterm election in November is going to be wild. Yeah. I think. Yeah, and you you have people who were literally major participants in the insurrection that are running for public office. Yeah, like that's ridiculous to me. Yeah, I the it's one of those things of just. When I watched my own friends, people that were very important to me, do nothing more than stand on a street corner and march mm -hmm. for racial justice. They didn't hurt anybody. They didn't cross any lines. They were standing on street corners and they got beaten and arrested on felony charges by, oh, by Kentucky State Police. And then to watch people who legitimately like to, to you know to, to 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 jump a barricade and 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 enter a federal government building with the intent to assault or kill elected officials and they themselves are now like walking free with the possibility that they they themselves now become elected officials it's like what we're living in the worst timeline it's fucking insanity and that's why you know, it wasn't just your music, but that's why I wanted to talk to you because, hell, I just turned 42. But the apathy from your generation must stop. Like, we've got to get yeah. everybody involved. Yeah. And uh, that's why I'm so happy that you're doing what you're doing um, along with your music. You know, it's, uh, it's really important because uh, it affects not just the, your state, or the country, but the world, man. Yeah. Kentucky is one of the most rural states in right. all of the United States. And I have to remind people is that, you know, K Kentucky as a whole, being like one of chief among the, the, you know, rural America, like it's symbolic of what rural America looks like everywhere else. Like, when you think of New York and you think of California and you think of these other places, you don't think of communities that are like the ones we have in Kentucky. And I'm like, no, there's more places like here than there are there. Like this like red state, lower middle class, like, you know, uh, people surviving on, on coal and, you know, people with their, with their backs against you know, the evangelical church and all of this, like that is most of America, unfortunately. I talk about this all the time. I live in Austin, which is a blue dot and big red ass state. Yep. And there's pockets. I would love for 
this state and it's mind boggling. And I know a lot of it has to do with gerrymandering this state with the demographics and it should be at least turning purple. And it's remarkable to me that it's not. And that's because you have these white men that are literally rigging the game. Yeah. Yeah. They're rigging it. And what uh, does Beto O'Rourke have a shot at beating Abbott as governor? I don't know, man. That's a tall order. But one thing, one thing that I do talk about is because I am all about mental health. It's like one of my main passions. And I've struggled with it in my own life. And so I'm all about speaking to people about plant medicine. And we are at a snail's pace with the legalization of cannabis in all forms. And um, he is for that. And um, it would just be good. Where are you, for instance, where are you all in cannabis with Kentucky? Um, um, we tried to get a bill pushed forward. And it's it's one of those things every time it just it never never gets anywhere we are firmly like cannabis is outlawed here i think a good majority of the people in our state prisons are in on cannabis charges are you familiar with like the uh, delta 8 thc products and like cbd products that sort of yeah we've had issues despite it being completely legal in kentucky a lot of shops are starting to pull that stuff off the shelves because they keep getting hit by the dea and shit Despite it being completely illegal, no one can figure out whether they're supposed to actually be selling it or not. That's ridiculous, man. I hadn't heard that. Yeah, it's it's awful. So sometimes you go in a, a smoke shop and they have D8 stuff and they have CBD stuff. And then the next week you might go and there's nothing there, you know? Yeah. Well, I hope somebody like Vice News exposes that. I had no idea that that was going on in Kentucky. And I speak about this with an expert uh, a couple of episodes, Scott Berman. He's uh, well entrenched in the cannabis industry. Look, pot, marijuana does not have to be for everybody, but it just should be allowed to, we should be allowed to have that option. Sure. The data is there that it is helping all kinds of things, anxiety, depression, PTSD, pain, all of that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's just, I'm, I was curious and I was afraid you were going to tell me that about Kentucky. Yeah. You know, it, it's with marijuana specifically, like I'm somebody, I, I suffer, I have complex PTSD as well as, you know, depression, anxiety, all of that. And marijuana is the only thing that I personally have tried that not only does it alleviate a lot of the negative symptoms of all of those issues, but that I don't become addicted to it, that I don't wake up feeling sick from it. I can drink alcohol and not be anxious and not be depressed, but I'm going to be throwing up the next day. You know, I can, I can take a pill for that or, or, or whatever, but then you're going to become addicted. Like marijuana is the only substance of any kind, legal, natural, whatever, pharmaceutical, whatever that, has really had that perfect balance of it solves the problem and it doesn't hurt me. Yeah. I have, I suffer from a lot of the same things, depression, anxiety, you know, it's different for everybody. Uh, marijuana is not CBD. I'm more, uh, I use fairly often, 
marijuana, I'm always in a pleasant mood, but I could not carry on a conversation like we're doing right now. Like all yeah. I would do would be. Yeah, I, I, I greatly enjoyed the CBD products. And I know a lot of people that they, they don't want to get stoned. So it's like, try CBD, try the Delta eight. There's even like companies that are making they're they're cultivating like hemp flowers that, that specifically are targeted towards the other tons of cannabinoids, you know, your CBNs and, and, and all that good stuff. And there's so many product products out there that are non-psychoactive that can help you the same way. Yep. Speaking of what you were just saying, if, uh, hopefully uh, you won't mind me asking if you had issues with sobriety uh, or did you use alcohol to try to alleviate your PTSD and so forth? I went through a period in uh, about 2018, 2019, where I was drinking more heavily than a person should. At the worst, I was drinking a fifth of Barton whiskey every day. Holy yeah. Damn. Man. I mean, we're talking, this is like $6 bottom of the barrel, like cheap Tennessee whiskey. And yeah, I mean, just a fifth of it every single day. And it got to a point where I think it wasn't helping anything. Like you drink it because it, it you, you start, you drink it because you, you, it makes you, you know, inebriated, you're partying, you're having fun. And the next yeah. thing you know, you're just drinking it because it's a, it becomes like a mild mood enhancer. And the next thing you know, you're drinking it like just to be normal. And it's like, you know, yeah, I, I'm very lucky that I came to my better senses and broke that habit before it killed me, before it yeah. did any more damage to me. And when I quit is when I started smoking pot. I had a good friend of mine who convinced me like he should really like I had smoked pot as a teenager, but kind of moved away from it as an adult. And he's like, I really think like maybe you should try smoking weed again, you know? And so I gave cannabis a try and it was like, Oh yeah, it does everything alcohol did better and doesn't, you know, again, it doesn't hurt me. Well, I mentioned this in an earlier episode, like how many times, or it would be interesting to find the documentation. What, how acts of violence like who has done something when you're when you're on cannabis and in comparison to alcohol you don't want to yell at your partner or your wife or boyfriend or i, I just feel like it, it makes you so much more uh less stressed out and angry you know yeah in any form of fashion and uh Hopefully, were you, you weren't getting behind the wheel when you were drinking like that. No, <laughs> no, absolutely not. Thank God. Uh, they, they at least got Uber where you are. Yes. Where you are. Yes. Washington. <laughs> let's, let's go full circle. Tell me about the lore of Dead Letterman. You were going to bring that up. Yes. Yeah, so the one of the first things I ever recorded was at the beginning of the COVID pandemic, our governor, Andy Bashir, he was going like live every day to do like an address. How many COVID cases were there today? This sort of thing. It ended up becoming somewhat of like a meme all over the country yeah. uh, just because of his kind of general attitude and the presentation of it. And I wrote this song about it and just kind of based off of the meme. And it was called Govern Me Daddy. <laughs> All right, and 
you know, prior to that, I was, I maybe had like eight listeners. They were just my friends. And I put this thing out. And it, when I first put it out, I just shared it. It was like a private like link on SoundCloud and send it to my friends. And they're like, you can't, you have to like officially put this out. I was like, fine. Right. I put it out there and it just pretty much overnight, it got shared into this Facebook group and that Facebook group and this place and that place. NPR ended up like come and calling the local NPR affiliate and they wanted to do a feature on it. And they did. That was awesome. And then in no, uh, November, a good six or seven months later, I get a knock at my door and it was a certified mail piece from the office of Andy Bashir. And I was like, what is this? And I opened it up and he had bestowed upon me the honor of Kentucky Colonel. Word? So I am Colonel Maven Avila. <laughs> All right, Colonel. Uh, <laughs> I hear you, man. Shit, that's wild. Yeah. So you got the EP hopefully coming out in April. Are you guys going to be able to get out there on the road, do you think? This summer, you gonna tour, travel? We're talking about it, but we don't know how likely it is. Just with Johnny having his other, there are other projects, and me having, you know, just just general life. Touring's hard, man. Touring is a hard thing to 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 coordinate. So we might coordinate some shows here and there. As far as like when the record comes out. We will probably at least play a couple of local shows. Um, but as far as like really hitting the road and leaving the town, leaving the state, you know, let alone, I don't know, that could be a good ways out before we do anything like that. Well, maybe if COVID, if this pandemic can finally get under control because it keeps reinventing itself, right? Right. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, but uh, at least we have this technology where you and I can carry on a conversation from a thousand miles away. Yeah. You're in Kentucky. And I, yeah. And, and the COVID's a big reason why. Like, I, I, I just got over COVID a few days ago. I have, I don't leave the house. I've got the double vax, the booster, the, you know, I wear the mask. I do, I do everything. I do everything probably more so than about 90% of people, you know, and this Omicron wave, it got everybody, man. Everybody got it. I was like, yeah, there's no escaping this one. Uh, I knock on wood. I have not, I'm triple vaccinated and um, I haven't gotten it that I know of. And if, if I were, I was asymptomatic, yeah. but the thing is, this is where I'm going with this. I still wear a mask in gas stations and the grocery store and public places. What percentage of people are doing that in Kentucky? <laughs> That's what. <I> oh <laughs> God. Um, it depends. You it fluctuates. Um, I would say in your average Walmart or you know, Speedway, anything like that, you're looking anywhere from like. 30 to 50 percent of people okay yeah all right and that might be generous honestly (laughs) right right yeah it's just wild so austin is pretty progressive and actually where i just was marfa which is an awesome town in west texas but very bohemian they require masks 
and that's a that's a town of 1800 people residents so it, it varies throughout my state and that's why i was curious about yeah i mean i'm speaking specifically about the most urban area and arguably yeah, yeah. the most left-leaning area of my entire state if you were to go the next county over where it's like a place like Wilmore, Kentucky that has 2000 people and has like 70% support for Donald Trump in the last election. I don't know how many people you're going to see wearing a mask inside of Kroger, you know, exactly. Maybe negative 10. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you know, it's bad when the last time I went outside of the city and I walked into a gas station wearing a mask, they were looking at me funny. Right. <laughs> you know what I yeah, mean? That says it all, man. That says it all. I did want to ask you, when you were in Louisville after the during the protests, that is disturbing that the police were doing that to your friends, but what about people from the other stance? Like, oh, man. There was some representation from that side. You heard rumblings of it. Obviously, I'm not in the network of those kinds of, you know, but you you heard about it, but I didn't see much of it. What I do know is that there was a lot of you heard a lot of stuff about rioting and looting from the BLM contingent. And what we really believe it was, was that there were like actors from the other side, like pretending to represent us. You know, going into graveyards and smashing up graves and then spray painting BLM. And it's like, yeah, we didn't do that. Right. Or claiming it was Antifa. Oh, yeah. Antifa. The leader. Yeah. Yeah. The CEO of Antifa did it. (laughs) Well, just keep at it, man. Uh, I dig what you're doing. Uh, That's why I wanted to reach out to you. So I'm from Georgia. And as I told you, and I'm very proud of like the musicians that have come. Out. I went to the University of Georgia, so REM. I saw you're an REM fan. Yeah. B-52s, Panic, uh, Allman Brothers, Ray Charles, and so forth, James Brown. Who is your, what band or musician or artist are you most proud of from Kentucky? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, there's several i could name uh you know my morning jacket that's mine tyler yep yep tyler childers uh white reaper uh you know flaw uh slint there's there's a lot actually uh i live the apartment i live in right now the person who lived here before me was the lead singer of the band slint so there's like, oh, really? I, I've always said there's like a legacy here that I'm like, do like I'm doomed to uphold it now. <laughs> Good. Take it. Run Absolutely. with it now. Yeah. I was just curious for me personally uh, that I know of from your state would be MMJ, my morning yep. jacket, Tyler Childers. And then we've already talked about Sturgill yep. Simpson, but I just was curious what you, what you thought. So that's cool. And then you're how old? You're only 22, 23. You're down 23. Okay. And you just self-taught yourself guitar. And I dig, you know, what you've done. So keep it up, man. I'll do my best, man. I'm, it is hard to maintain the energy. It's a lot to, I've got to, you got to learn, you got to grind, you got to do, it's hard, but you know, we're, uh, yeah, 
doing some good things and I'm feeling, feeling pretty confident about it. So, well, hopefully, uh, you guys will keep it up and this damn pandemic will be over with and then you can hit the road and maybe I'll see you at South by Southwest or something. Absolutely. Actually, there's a a local band that I've seen them. It play in like basements and attics. They're playing South by Southwest. Uh, Their name is Wombo. Wombo. Yeah. I I will. So I've got a, uh, I've got a uh, pass. And uh, I will check them out. I, I might even reach out to them and see if I can yeah. interview them. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Absolutely. Keep it up, man. Keep it up with uh, the social justice causes. Uh, every vote counts. And um, once again, I really appreciate taking the time with me. Of course. And, uh, of course. We'll, we'll, st- we'll stay in touch. And uh, I really appreciate it. I've enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I have as well. Thank you. It's hard to believe Maven is just 23 years old. Already in his life, he is a great example to others for finding new channels of creativity, overcoming PTSD and trauma, and advocating for social justice. We heard a bit of his single Mother's Day and the story behind his blunt and cathartic lyrics. I can certainly appreciate the healing process that his songwriting offers. I encourage you to check out some of the artists that inspire him on his Spotify playlist entitled Influences of Dead Letterman, and of course, have a listen to his most recent release, Departures, until his new EP is released in April. After hearing about his involvement in showing up for racial justice, or surge, I want to close out our interview with Dead Letterman's song, Fight. I think listening to Maven's story and passion for social justice can bring some real insight into the power behind his lyrics. I enjoyed learning about the self-taught artist from Kentucky and hope you enjoyed getting to know Maven from a variety of perspectives. I'm looking forward to introducing you to more new music talent in the future episodes. Until next time, I'm Tom Hartridge, and this is Neurons to Nirvana. Nirvana.